Podcast 46 comes to you from the Wiggly Sofa in Lower Blakemore, Herefordshire, and I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers. And I'm Richard from Wiggly Wigglers. And I'm Farmer Phil. And we are very, very, very pleased, pleased as punch, to invite along Roger. Hello, Roger. Hello. And he has been our temp at Wiggly Wigglers for the past... Four weeks, I think it is. Mm. It seems like longer. <laughs> Not in a bad way. <laughs> I thought Tess wore short skirts and had blonde hair. What happened? I can do that for you if you'd like. <laughs> it was quite funny because the first day he came really smart, all dressed up in a suit, and the day after he came in shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> anyway, we're going to hear from Roger because he's been our best temp ever. Yeah, um, and we're, we're going to let Roger turn the tables and host a bit of the podcast to ask us questions. But the most important thing of the day is it's Rachel's birthday. Happy birthday, Rachel. Happy birthday, Rachel. What a good Rachel. old day. She and doesn't look bad for 46, does she? <laughs> she's pretty good, you know. She's in Barcelona and she won't tell us where she's staying, so we can't organise a surprise, so... There we oh, are. I've been a shrewd move on her part. Yeah. I did manage to give her a big slobbering kiss before she left. Oh, oh dear. Brave man. Yeah. Oh, dear me. Yeah. Never mind. All right. Farmer Phil's only here for a very short period of time because he's off on his combine. There's a few things that we need to go through with him. It's very bad news from <laughs> Phil. <laughs> Richard, that's not funny. <laughs> Philip, um, Farmer Phil, how did the hedge competition that you entered go this year? They accepted my entry. Yes. But that's about as far as it went, I'm afraid. Uh, you seem to have a nice time with the judge. I do. I like, I'm going very well with the judge, and I've got no issues with the judge. But I think that there were two possibilities. If we take the positive line, the competition was very hot, and therefore that's good for the hedgerows of Herefordshire. You mean there's better hedges about? Well, there are other people who've got good hedges. <laughs> <laughs> and the alternative? That he didn't agree with how I manage my hedges. Rich. <laughs> it's interesting, Phil. Do you know him, I remember Rich? sat here smirking away, and Phil said, what are you smirking about, Richard? As, uh, I think he quietly knows why I've been smirking, because we, we've been chuckling about the hedge thing this morning. Since our hedge debate, really, the hedge debate has cropped up all the time. Ah, funny. Uh, cropped uh, up. Uh, ever, ever since uh, episode 16, wasn't it, I think, yeah. we, we, we were waxing lyrical about all things hedge-like. Phil, I think you might be, you know, the soldier that's marching out of step. Because whilst you really like your hedges and you think that they are the best thing since sliced bread, everybody that knows what they're talking about disagrees with your management strategy. Oh. Sweeping state oh. number one. Oh, I say. Roger, you might have to be a referee. nature, the nature, trust, leaf. You know, anybody that's kind of thinking about conserving hedges for wildlife, also looking at, you know, conserving hedges for practical purposes, which you obviously do. I mean, I'm trying not to smirk and be slightly cocky over the whole hedge scenario, but... But... <laughs> But I'm wondering, if you didn't get into the next section of this competition, and if everybody, uh, every organisations like English Nature and the Nature Trusts and LEAF and pretty much everyone that is aware of the significance of, of hedges and is also aware of the decline in lots and lots of invertebrates because of hedge management since the mid-1940s, <laughs> and yet you still think that your management strategy is the best, I'm just wondering how, other than through sheer belligerence, you can come up to that conclusion. Uh, is that a uh, knockout blow, Phil? I feel that he's actually trying for a, 
a mall. Well, I just take the view actual, that he, you know, he has boxing. waited. He's waited some time for his diatribe, yes. and there we have it. Yes. The fact that we didn't reach the final, <laughs> I am guessing because I don't know that it is those people who have adopted the environmental schemes so they've got wide wildflower margins and things like that that go with the hedges that they have effectively put more effort into the management of the hedge and its surrounding environment. I'm guessing. In conversation with the judge, Tony agreed with my management principles. He also agreed that the latest DEFRA rules had damaged the hedges. I think that, as always, and as I've always maintained, Rich, <laughs> that the management of hedgerows should be a compromise that fits with the effective farming of the ground. He's and back. I He's do back. not agree well, with maintaining I farmland. I don't see where the compromise is. Compromise. The compromise is, Rich, that if farmland is going to produce food for you and I to eat, yeah. then it has to be farmed. And that the environmental benefits of hedges and their environs have to fit in. Now, that conflict is going to be a balance. You can't have fields and fields of wildflower meadows and eat your loaf of bread every day. It no, doesn't work. You can't do that. So there's a compromise. There and my compromise. compromise says that I'm going to produce food and I will manage my hedges for a healthy <laughs> hedge to it's fit not a compromise, with that. They feel. It is. A compromise would be either having reasonable strips of set aside along your hedgerow so as you've got nice buffer zones for all sorts of mammalian and avian and, and invertebrate life to negotiate rich perhaps, perhaps you could just uh, uh, remind so, me so that, that, that would be so the compromise would be to have some of those hedges managed in such a way that it accommodates wildlife your idea of a compromise is managing your hedges in the way that you want to manage them with little regard for wildlife I have to ask you two questions. <laughs> what is the purpose of a hedge? The purpose of a hedge is very much, I mean, it really, in many respects, it is in the eye of the beholder as well. Right? The purpose of the a hedge, for an, of a hedge. for an environmentalist <gasps> is no, to, for the owner for of the hedge. And a person ah. who is able to appreciate the natural history that the British Isles offers is to accommodate wildlife, is to provide <gasps> habitat, fodder and forage Absolute for all sorts of different species of wildlife. Also, <laughs> it serves as a, to mark boundaries Absolutely. between fields. And surely, being as that was the reason Quite that it was planted, this, that is the primary that, reason for its existence. You could say that the reason the hedges are there is because farmers have put them there. But if, well, nobody else did. Absolutely. But what farmers did is cut down vast tracts of woodland. So these hedgerows are remnants. And, <laughs> and Sorry, you've, you've cleared the land, you've cleared the land, and you've planted up with brilliant arable crops... And I know you do farm sympathetically. You've planted the land and, you've, and you grow great, fantastic arable crops, good quality crops, which I can only uh, you know, appreciate the value of. You know, I know they're great. However, the compromise is leaving those hedgerows and maintaining those hedgerows, having already cleared the scrub, taking away the woodland to grow your crops. That is the compromise. Rich, you're to mixing those, up too many To just things. have hedgerows there and cut them in, in a way, you know, specifically for your own aesthetic appreciation, isn't a compromise. It is I appreciate your compromise. I appreciate your perspective. Right, I'm going to have that. to cut it short. <laughs> Phil, I mean, you've just had hours yeah. of diatribe, of, 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 as I call it, hippie sh- environmentalism, <laughs> after the Tim Smith interview. Yeah, no, it's and not I hippie sweat environmentalism. And I just have to give him a chance hippie, to say... Hippie Smith what? environmentalism. <laughs> <laughs> I have to give him a chance to say, why are your hedges any good and what has happened to your hedges 
since you've had this issue with the government cross-compliance. And then we're ending it there because you two will have to have a fight another day because what have you done? You've hijacked this podcast with your row again, haven't you? Well, we're moving on, chubby. (laughs) (laughs) Phil? I've got two comments to make. The reason that I'm upset with the government is that the management of hedgerows against (coughs) arable crops means that you have to keep the undergrowth down next to the hedge. Otherwise, it blots out the bottom of the hedge and the leaves don't grow on the bottom of the hedge. In a grazed scenario, the livestock will do that, so the management's different. That's my point. The rubbish has grown up the hedge and it has killed the bottom of the hedge. I'm very depressed about that. I would normally have sprayed out that little strip. It's good for birds, it's good for everything, and it works, and Rich can't argue with it. The other thing I'd just like to say quickly... In response I, I can argue that. I can argue that. I know you can. Today, you're not you enjoy your to. second point, but I could argue that because <laughs> there's lots of I've just got one other point that when Rich first came here, he surveyed our farm and said that this was a vast area of sub Saharan monoculture and that I had devastated the wildlife. Well, he had a family day the other day and they went pond dipping and he found everything in that new pond that yeah. we dug and it yeah. just appeared. So despite my best efforts to kill everything, (laughs) he found a whole plethora of quite rare beasties, bugs, newts and what have you, and they just appeared. I've got one last opportunity. I want you to tell him why your hedges are so good. The reason my hedges are so good is because they are much bigger in volume and height than anybody else's or most other people's and they provide a good boundary to the fence. They are a good barrier, but they also provide an excellent environment for all the wildlife that you are on about. Ping! <laughs> and that's the end of round one. Yeah, but how am I going to remember <laughs> my retorts and my response to those? If you're not bright enough to remember your own argument, that's your chosen to make the next as Radio As Radio Wyvern's journalist God. once said to me, unfair, you biased. have to remember... You love him. <laughs> <laughs> you have, well, you're I'm right. Your, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I love you, Rich. <laughs> and Phil's my mate, but I still feel as though I have more points just, to make. Just a minute. As the Radio Wyvern journalist said to me, you have to remember how much airtime you've got and you, Richard, have waffled, and I'm cutting you off. So over to Michael for the music. Wow, Rod, what do you think of that, old boy? That was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> A little you... scary, but... <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was, I was going to get my mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you'll get your mum, won't you? Yeah, that's right. I'm going to get my mum to tell Phil off. <laughs> right, moving on. We'll have to come back on that battle because Richard feels completely marginalised and just all alone in this. Well, I'm at a disadvantage, am I? <laughs> I gave you a chance. And I've got a couple of points Just to make that I'd like to make that it. we won't go into now because you're going to tell me off and play the music again. I will. So, I so we will have part 55 of the Hedgerow Row next week. Okay. Moving on to Farmer Phil <coughs> and his seed trial. Now, this is the corker. We've got all different seeds here from all different companies to find out if ours was working okay and our packaging and we learnt an awful lot from it and so we got identical seed feeders and we set them up on the wiggly balcony 
and we filled them with all the different seeds with the idea of which the birds would prefer, just to see for ourselves. And Jodie's point was relevant, would they go for the one nearest the tree? And that was okay until Phil the gardener came along and he fills the seed feeders up, so he filled them all up with wiggly seed. <laughs> <laughs> so um, next week we're going to start again. Um, but we all, didn't we, Rog and Rich, we all got round and we had did. a look at this seed mm. and called for Farmer Phil to tell us which he thought were good. And he came up with how to actually find out whether or not people were paying money for dirt. Yeah. So can you explain it, Phil? Yeah, what well, to ba look for? basically, I've got in front of me, whatever it is, six or eight different roughly comparable mixes. And obviously, the first thing you can do is just do a visual comparison, what looks nice, what looks varied, and so on. And obviously, some of them have got a much higher percentage of sunflowers because they're very visual. Some of them look to have got a very high percentage of what I could only describe as broken cereals. They may be pinhead oats, they may be cereal cleanings, but they're effectively, I think what's going on is that things like sunflowers are relatively inexpensive and certainly cereals are inexpensive, so that the more of those sort of elements that you have in a mix, the less expensive it's likely to be. Right. And then... I've just, got, I've just opened one, that crackly noise. Having got amongst them visually, you then sort of get some in the palm of your hand and sort of sift through it and try and identify what you think you've got in there. And one thing which is quite interesting is if you get some in the palm of your hand and then let it run off your hand slowly, like the last thing that's left on your hand is the dirt, all the bits of dust and the little particles of, of rubbish. Yeah. And that was very revealing because that instantly ruled out all but three of the samples. Right. That all, all the others, particularly the ones with the, the cereal-based broken bits of cereal and this, that and the other in them, they'd all got quite a high quantity of dirt and dust. Oh, and look at that one. Husk yeah. and Filthy. crud. So that, that, that was quite an interesting test. And right. then I was left with three which, although different, they look to be roughly comparable. They've got a little bit of colour to them, they've got a lot of variety in terms of what was in them, and it looked to be roughly balanced. Right. And I, I'm pleased to say that Wiggly Seed was one of them, so I was quite <laughs> pleased with that. Yeah. I'd like to you to know that he didn't know which was which. <laughs> no, it was, although I could identify the Wiggly Seed instantly, because obviously it was the only one with indigo wheat in it. Right. But right. wheat is a filler, really, isn't it? It is a filler, and that's really what I'm getting at, is that the cost of these seed mixes really comes down to the cheaper elements and how much of those are in them. So the sunflowers and the wheat would be among the cheapest elements and they tend to be the elements that people will put more in to try and increase their... Yeah, so the sunflowers, are, sunflowers are one of the cheapest elements then? They're one of the cheaper elements, right, certainly. Right. Things yeah, like sunflower hearts are about three times the cost of actual sunflowers. So if you see a mix with sunflower hearts in it, right. that's likely to be more expensive. Canary seed is quite expensive and some of the smaller seeds are, are, are quite expensive. So the sunflower heart, is that because they have to go through a, a process to take the husks off then? Yeah. Right. But you see, the thing is, though, that I would have thought that, I mean, when you go to a garage, often you'll see a seed mix that is predominantly wheat yeah. and therefore less expensive. But this one, I won't name who it's, whose it is, is one of the worst samples that we've got. And this is actually pound fifty a kilo. So that's 50% more than most other people's seed mixes. Right. So you, it doesn't necessarily mean if you've used cheap ingredients 
that you're going to get cheap seed because this one's one of the worst and it's the most expensive. Also, I think variety is the spice of life. If you look at the mixes that we've sort of said that we don't like much, they've got much less variety in them. The ones that we like have got lots of different ingredients. And birds on the whole, and, and the exception I would have to say are probably goldfinches and niger seed because that's all they seem to like and they'll really go after it. But mm. if you want a variety of birds on your bird table, it seems logical to me to have a, a mix with lots of different ingredients in it and then different birds will pick out the bits they like and, yeah. and that seems sense to me. Yeah. You look good, Rod. <coughs> well, I'm very interested in this whole debate. I've been very new to this, but what I will ask is... In the sort of world of aesthetics that we live in nowadays, obviously I'm looking at the wiggly seed now, and it is very bright and very colourful. Um, does one really think, I mean, are the birds going to make that much of a difference yeah. between something that's very bright and colourful that we like to look off and perhaps something that's, that's got dust on and stuff? The customers, as it were, the birds, do they actually care? That's a good question. Is a good question. And we'll tell you that once we've done the trial, I think. <laughs> well, yes, of course, because <laughs> we haven't done the trial yet. I think that's a very good yeah. question, but I, I think you have to add to that, that although the bird is the customer, and you're mm. dead right, the one who's paying wants value for money. Mm. Right. And my point is that if you're being sold cheap ingredients mm. at an inflated price, you're not getting value for no, money. Absolutely. If you have cheap ingredients at the correct price, then fair enough, you're probably fair, dead yeah. right. My view is if you're getting value for money, then that's, that's, what you're where, at, yeah. that's where you're at. Right, we'll finish this now, but just before we do, what's the difference? Because this one is a very expensive seed, well, and this one is... It would be, I guess, inappropriate to say where they've come from, but there is a massive difference between those and the one that you've got on your right hand side that Phil's about to comment on is very expensive. It's considerably more expensive than wiggly seed. Yeah, it's £1.50 a kilo. If, if you look at this sample, there are whole wheat grains, just normal run-of-the-mill wheat. A lot of these little bits of shrapnel, I think, are pinhead oats, which is an oatmeal, which is, you know, not terribly expensive. The birds probably quite like it, but it does tend to make it dusty because it's, it's, they're smashed up effectively. Yeah. There's a little bit of canary in it, and there's a little bit of cut maize in it and perhaps a small fraction of millet. Beyond that, I can't see much else in that other than the odd sunflower. And obviously in the wiggly seed, which you've got in the other hand, there's a whole variety of things, safflower, dari, rape, canary, millet. There's indigo wheat, which is a much higher protein than normal wheat, um, which, which would benefit those What's birds that, that like yeah, it. Right. There are striped sunflowers as or well as, as Michael black says, sunflowers. The brown one. <laughs> there is a little bit of cut maize, so that, that there's a much greater variety, and it's clean. You only buy seed there. If you run that seed off your hand, you're left with very little in terms of... I did tip it. Crud. <laughs> what about that stuff that we picked up at the local garage? Well, Because that is... had got weevils in it. <laughs> <laughs> weevils. Or whatever they were. What was it? The... There is a trade in something called cleaning tail, so that when seed crops are cleaned, there is the fraction that you clean out. Right. And you can get fractions of that, and there is a trade in that right. for bird seed. But it is obviously very cheap, yeah. which is waste. Yeah, so yeah. it makes a very good filler if you are so inclined. We don't use it because we don't believe in it. Yeah. But it, it, again, it comes down to value for money. If you, if you look at what you're getting and you perceive it to be value for money, fine. 
Well, the trial goes on. Interesting stuff. We've let the birds eat the wiggly seed this week. <laughs> <laughs> we've had a word with Gardner Phil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll try Start it again. again. Um, question for you both. This is from Samantha Evans. Hello, we've been feeding badgers in our garden for at least a year now, but we've recently received concerned comments from neighbours about the risk of TB to our children. Is this really something we should be worried about? Our children are three and six, and that's from Samantha Evans. Quick answer? Well, I'll let Phil answer this, because in actual fact, I did answer it, but then I spoke to Phil before I had answered it, so Phil should answer this. I think absolutely not beyond the normal hygiene that, that children playing out in the garden, that you know, you wash your hands before you eat and so on. But the reason that cattle get TB from badgers is because they eat the grass. And the badgers contaminate the grass with TB. It's quite a difficult disease to catch. But our TB expert, Melanie, it's a different strain. It is a different strain, but you can get it. In the years ago, when we had TB as humans, we got it through unpasteurised milk. So the pasteurisation of milk sorted that mm. issue. There is a minute risk, but I don't know of anybody who's ever caught it that mm. way. You can catch dreadful things off your cat if you really must. <coughs> yeah, you could, absolutely. Just before you go, can we have a quick harvest update? Yields, what you're doing, blah, blah. Yields, very good. Nearly finished. Got about 70 acres of wheat to cut now. We're going well late at night. Yeah. Get on. It's been wet, hasn't it, though, recently? It has. Mm. But, I mean, we've gone so well through the difficult crops, the grass seed and the peas, to get those in the dryer. I can live with a little bit of wet wheat. That's yeah. not a problem. Yeah. So, yeah, very happy. We're just currently bagging off our latest variety of red wheat. Purple? Well, purple, then, if you like. <laughs> Um, which hopefully will supersede indigo in due course. Yeah. So that's quite interesting. We were very pleased with our trial plots of that. Yeah. So that'll be good. Um, just accurate report, what's the tonnage per whatever it is, etc. for um, our farming listeners? In, Hello, Anthony. In terms of wheat yields, subject to the vagaries of the yield metre on the combine, but it's not usually bad, but wheat yields have varied between three and three-quarter tonnes per acre up to five tonnes an acre, which is exceptional. We are struggling to find room in the shed for that. And what's your comment on the fact that all the millers are telling us that the price of bread is going up because of a bad harvest? East of us, they have had reduced yields because they are drier than we are. Because our average rainfall is 38 inches, and say in Essex it's in the low 20 inches a year, right. that this year we gain because we have the climate that East Anglia would have had. Uh, but we all know why the price is rising, and it's not the cost of the product. Heather, you're not going to suggest that profiteering is going on amongst the uh, big corporate millers, are you? No, I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. It's the price of oil, and it's the price of transport. I think that might be an excuse. <laughs> there you <laughs> Off you go. Brum, brum, old chap. <laughs> Bye for now. <laughs> Cheers, Phil. We spoke about it earlier, but on Wednesday we had Family Day at Wiggly Wigglers, which is the first time ever that this has happened. Would you two, Richard and Rog, like to give the brief synopsis of what went on on that day? A brief synopsis, eh? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you what happened. OK. Yeah, uh, it was a good day, wasn't it, Rog? It was a fantastic day, very yeah. good indeed. And we kind of enlisted you 
uh, thinking that you might be really enthusiastic and enjoy the opportunity, and he, and he did. I did. I think it was absolutely excellent, yeah. I didn't realise it was the first family day either, so you've told me that now, but yeah, it seemed to go down a storm with everybody who came. We've had, I mean, we've had open days, and we've done the courses previously, yeah. but on a slightly smaller scale. Well, the open days are on a larger scale, yeah. but they're much more informal. Yeah. Uh, so they're not quite as well planned. This that was is, planned, was it? <laughs> yes, yeah. Good Lord. That, was, that was planned, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was, I was really chuffed to bits on, on how the day went, because the weather might have been an It, it could have been factor. disaster. It was in the morning, wasn't it? Because it yeah. was just sheeting down with rain in the morning, and I thought, ah, how's Rich going to manage this? Are yeah, we going to yeah. be inside a barn? And I, am I going to be bringing up buckets of water from the pond to do pond dipping? But uh. <laughs> fortunately, we didn't have to do that. Yeah. It really pulled itself together. It works really well because uh, I would have been inundated on my own. Uh, so, by your help, it was you know it's fantastic because you were able to take half the group, half the crew down to, to do the pond dipping. Yeah, catch some uh, goodies. And what sort of stuff did you get? Uh, there, were, there was a world of. Stuff there was there, just tons and tons of stuff. There was newts and oh, great water boatmen, uh, diving beetles, and. A whole host of other things, which is my way of saying I wasn't exactly sure what these other things were. <laughs> my knowledge is a tad sketchy, but <laughs> we, we got a whole tub drug full of creatures, which the kids loved. Actually, the kids loved. I think the parents loved even more. They were sort of pushing kids out of the way to get those nets <laughs> in, as you do. Um, but yeah, great success. That you're fun. a cookery teacher in real life. I, I am, yes. And I, I did say to the assembled crowd that if, if I wasn't able to actually identify the creatures they got, I could probably knock up a quick recipe with them. But I, <laughs> let me just, sorry, tell the wiggly wigglers that I obviously, I'm not actually going to do that. that. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I get in trouble from the yeah. RSPCA. Great and toasted crested. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I, I, the it's garlic. a shame that Phil's gone, really, in actual fact, because Phil did pay mention to uh, the fact that the, there was a whole host of life in there. When I was rattling to him yesterday about how much life was in the pond, and he, you know, he said about me making reference to the extensive arable layout that it is a kind of semi-arid desert, as far as invertebrate <laughs> life is concerned. I think really it's not this, the fact that Phil farmland doesn't have much life on it uh, that makes all the difference in the garden it's the fact that that garden you know really gives people a chance to see what's achievable in a garden how much life you can draw into a garden even if you do live in a semi arid <laughs> <laughs> you can't leave it can you, you can't leave it <laughs> I can hear the right debate. feedback <laughs> has the day met your expectations this is from a young chap and he says, I didn't know cows will chase you when they have calves. No. <laughs> no, that was a bit of Phil. And Phil was on fire, you know. He really <laughs> he, was yeah, on fire. Was, that was brilliant. Very informative. And I'd like to say I'm going to get my family to listen to this because for years they've taken the mickey out of me and my slight nervousness of cows. And Farmer Phil has now <laughs> proved me right that they are. Yeah. Well, they can be, yeah, homicidal maniacs by the sound <laughs> of it if you get between them and their calves. Yeah. So I, I was you, right all along. I think you I'm might pleased. have overstated the fact that <laughs> cows with calves will kill you. They do want to kill you. You. Uh, bulls are fine, no problem at all. Yes. Cows, on the other hand, they're, if they get it in their mind to hurt you, they want to kill you. So uh, people were backing off slightly. After, uh, Tears made, were appearing at the kids' yeah. eyes. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> on the mothers and creeping towards us. You know. I thought, oh, Phil, you know, you're doing really well. You keep everybody entertained. You know, most, more often than not, you have to sort of walk in behind people to catch them. So when they're falling asleep when Phil talks, when you're <laughs> 
<laughs> on this occasion, you know, he's on for a new tactic, scare the living daylights out of people. <laughs> I were to treat. <laughs> so, so it's interesting that Roger said he's not afraid of cows anymore. No. <laughs> he's, no, he's I wasn't. Said, no, he said it's okay that he is afraid Wait, of cows. I'm not afraid. I'm absolutely yeah. terrified of um, him now. We got good marks for Richard and Roger on the Richard and Roger day. Good marks. <laughs> Excellent marks. Mostly ones and twos, in fact. Except there's one black mark, and that was the baby changing facilities. Yes. Oops. Yeah, well, there isn't one, is no. there? No. <laughs> but it's working far. <laughs> yeah, but you baby and I planned this day. How did you used to change Monty when he was little? It must have been, uh, where did you used to, there was no baby changing facility, <laughs> is there? I don't remember that. Yeah. I blanked it all from yeah. my mark. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember one you. night trying to get him to sleep. But over a three-year period, that's about it, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you call yourself a mother. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know what happened there. Uh, yeah. No. Um, I'll have to move on because I simply don't know yeah. the answer. <laughs> so we're going to move this podcast over to Roger now because Roger's been here for three weeks. And he's given us lots of feedback on what we've been up to. He's a cookery teacher, as I've already said. And he's also interested in all things gardening and environment. Absolutely. Very much so, yes. And so I'm going to hand this podcast now. The ship is going over to Roger because I'd like him to look at it from the point of view of a new listener and a new Wiggly and ask us what he will. So, over to Roger. Right, thank you very much indeed, Heather. And can I, can I start off by saying that I've done a couple of interesting temp jobs. I won't go into what they were before I did this one. And so when I was asked to come over here, I was told it was a, you know, a mail-order catalogue. But I really had no idea as to the extent of what is actually going on at Wiggly Wigglers. And within three days, I was prepared to, to give up my teaching job and come and work <laughs> it full-time, much to the alarm of my wife. Um, <laughs> I think this is a fascinating, fascinating company, led by someone who's obviously incredibly passionate about all things Wiggly and gardening. That's me. Uh, that is Heather. <laughs> Sorry, yes, I could just say. Yeah, indeed it is. Um, and I have got one or two questions that I'd like to put to Heather and, and Richard. First to Heather is, Wiggly was nothing like I imagined it would be. And, and I'd like to ask you, when you started this, did you honestly think it would reach what it has become today? I mean, is this where you wanted to be or was this... Has it exceeded your expectations? Well, I never set off for it to be nothing much. No. Because otherwise you wouldn't make much difference at anything, mm. I don't think. So there was always a big plan afoot. Yeah. But there was no real direction. So it was kind of a muddle through for many years. Well, it still is a bit of a muddle through, <laughs> I must say. But the direction really came when we got the set of products and the mission, mm. which was actually we're sick of conventional gardening. Yeah. And once we found a way that you could actually enjoy gardening more, yeah. then the mission is there. So it's not exceeding my expectations. It's underplaying my expectations right. at the moment. But every day seems to be really good fun, which is really one of the missions that we're trying to achieve. Is that fair, Rich? Uh, I think it's very fair, yeah. I mean, I know you've said to me before, because you're very much, as I am, into more, more, more adventures. So yeah. developing things, uh, you know, you've obviously got the organic growth, 
and that's played a big part in the way Wigglers has grown over mm. the last few years. But you have gone out now over recent years um, and very shrewdly employed me, for instance, <laughs> 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 to, uh, to, <laughs> to, to develop different areas of the business. Yeah. So to physically go out and develop and offer more opportunities to provide support and advice to people, gardeners, not necessarily gardeners, we kind of work with all sorts of people that are looking at ways of increasing biodiversity, sustaining rural communities, supporting local food production, all those kind of sensible initiatives that are so important for people in, in Britain. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, obviously, you're, it's, it's all something you're passionate about because you're a country girl. I'm a country girl. Country and, girl. But you have a good overview and you are able to see what's, what's achievable and the sky is the limit. The thing that really excites me is getting together with somebody like Michael, mm. who sat behind the table making this podcast, yes. because there's all these people there with a talent that is incredible. And then somehow or other, I get to be able to use that talent. You know, I can't make this podcast. I don't know what Michael does. But to be able to implement it mm. and use it is just so crunchy and it's the same with Richard you know I don't know about moths and beetles and I certainly don't know about gardening but to be able to use his talent for the greater mission is just (laughs) fabulous I think that's what it is right that's what makes Wiggly's because the people here everybody the team you know everybody's kind of friends you know everybody gets on really well everybody likes one another that's fairly key really yeah in, in, absolutely in, for, for productivity as much yeah. as anything else but but it's because everyone fits their niche very well indeed yeah. i mean you know michael is absolutely brilliant at what he does and it would be difficult to find someone who's got that inclination towards design and it uh, and who's able to contribute in many ways mm. rachel who is absolutely superb in the operations department and keeps everybody yeah in their place. Sandra, who's got a a clinical approach to all things financial. Mm. Joe and Alison and you for a short period Mm. are are absolutely brilliant at customer relations and been able to give people the information they need when they ring up, but also to be able to talk to people, to be able to humour them when they're ringing up if they have a slight problem or something, and to be able not to get fed up with those situations, but to make the best of those situations for personal development as much as anything else. And we have the girls... Syl and Ricky and Wendy and Noel and all those Anne guys and Maggie and, and Maggie <laughs> and uh, and gosh, I hope I haven't missed anybody out. But you they're, have, they're all Anne, Anne, yeah. absolutely, and they're and they're all completely geared around getting the, the stuff out there mm. and doing so in as appropriate way as is physically possible. And it, it works very well. But I would I say don't forget is... Jodie because she's and Jodie is probably the hardest physically working <laughs> woman I've ever come across. And I think this all combines together to form an excellent and very, I don't know if this is a word, unfaceless company. But this is, this is not a faceless company that is here one day and gone the next. You, what you've got here is, is something really, really good. It should be an institution, Wiggly Wiggly, I feel, <laughs> in a good way. Um, yes, I think it might think, be an institution. I could see Heather in a straight you've, <laughs> you've had to battle, let's face it, in a country where there is an obsession with lawns and very sterile gardens, of which I absolutely loathe. And in fact, where, where I used to live in, in Northamptonshire with my wife, we, 
we got on very well with the neighbours, but they did always think we were rather odd because we left our grass just that little bit longer to grow and the clover to grow so you got more bumblebees and stuff. And people, it's very hard to get people away from that. You know, you don't need to have neat edges and, and everything cut very, very low and stuff. I mean, the Wiggly Garden here, when I first saw it, I was absolutely bowled over. You can sit there, eat your lunch, and hear the incredible sounds, hundreds and hundreds, I mean, so much activity, hundreds and hundreds of different insects going about their daily life, which you don't get in a lot of gardens because there's nothing really for them to actually get on and do. You've been signing books, haven't you? I, I, yeah, I feel... <laughs> Four weeks and people are asking for a Four weeks and I'm I'm already signing books. Um, I, I'm doing some in Waterstones. I haven't told Heather about next week. Or no, Jenny. I, or Jenny. Yeah. That's right. I felt very uh, guilty about that, but but Richard just got in straight away and signed it. So I thought, well, it's, it's obviously okay. I'll blame him. Good uh, man. <laughs> yes, indeed. And if we've got time, if you had the power, Heather, Richard, both of you. To actually make everyone in England do one thing in their garden that was going to improve the environment, what would it do? Dig a pond, I'd say. I would get them to plant a native hedge. And the reason that I would do that is because I think that would get corridors of hedges. I think it would shut you up going on at farmers, (laughs) which would be nice. And I think it would hide all those disgusting fences and lawns. Yes. So you wouldn't have to see them anymore because they'd be enclosed in a hedge. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I would inspire them to go to gardenrant.com, which is Amy Stewart's blog, or she blogs with another bunch of gardeners. And we're actually having Amy Stewart, who is a world-famous writer. She is, very renowned. Yeah, she's coming on the podcast. Uh, next week. Couple of, oh, is it next, next week? week yeah. yeah. So I'd inspire them to go and ah. have a have a read of Amy Amy Stewart. Amy Stewart. Well, yeah. If she needs me to sign that book as well, I'm quite happy to do that. <laughs> That's very generous. <laughs> we should say the reason that we were asked to sign the books is because yeah. the, the children that, that came along on the family day yes. were so inspired by us that they wanted they were. our little contribution. <laughs> Listen, no rules at Wiggly's. No, no blame. No rules. No blame. Move on. <laughs> Thank you both. And thank you, Roger. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a a real pleasure. Well, you've been our best temp ever. The dulcet tones of Roger, putting (laughs) people right on ants. It's been a joy to behold. And I hope you give up your cookery teaching and come and join us. (laughs) I think we'll see Roger again. I think we will. I sincerely hope so. Right, I've been given the honour and the pleasure now of going over to Monty and his Wiggly Wormcast. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty, a weekly fact on worms. Lambrocus terrestris have red blood with haemoglobin like us. Thank you, Monty. Thank you, Roger. We'll finish now with the exciting prospect of next week, Amy Stewart. She's written tonnes of books. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. She seems like a really enthusiastic yank, doesn't she? Definitely. (laughs) Should be some real spunky stuff from her, I think. That again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Right, off we go. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Party poppers. (laughs) Party poppers? You know, like um, DJs say, don't they? You know, like, party poppers. (laughs)
She's going to have a bro love moment, isn't she? She's going to go, hi there, party people. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Party, party, party people. 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 That's party, it. Party, party poppers. <laughs> that's it. Party people. Oh, Sorry, not party poppers. There's another outtake there, Michael. Very good. Okay.